0: You think about what's happened in our society over the last um, 50 or 60 years. Some of us can actually remember that. Some, uh, <laughs> some might have to look in the history books to, to uh, understand that. But you think about what's happened sociologically in our country for the last 50 or, or 60 or so years. Um, what w- people used to gather in the center of town, they used to gather into the town square. But over the last 50 or 60 years, they moved from gathering in the town square to the front porch. And there are many people, I hear I hear many people all the time, long for the days when people would sit out on their front porch and and have community. Well, we moved from the front porch gathering to the backyard gathering. And then we moved from the backyard gathering to living rooms and dining rooms. As houses got bigger and you had more inside space, you moved from the backyards to dining rooms and living rooms. Well, now you don't even hear about dining rooms and living rooms, and many of the houses don't even uh, don't even have a formal dining room or a formal living room or anything like that, but they do have man caves, <laughs> right? So we've moved from the family room, moved from the dining room to man caves and breakfast nooks. I tried to figure out what the ladies' version of a man cave is, and the closest I could come up with is a breakfast nook. But that's where we've moved sociologically as a society. We've moved from these gatherings of community to moving to nooks and caves. Other things in our our society show that the sense of community has really disappeared. The community organizations, community, uh, community clubs, those different things where people would gather together in community, they have all but died, haven't they? The sense of community has all but disappeared. And all the while when churches notice that and and to... Many churches credit, they notice that this sense of community has disappeared as local schools have consolidated, as churches have, have consolidated or grown. These local community centers have, have gone away. But to their credit, many churches try to replace or try to augment that community, that sense of community. But they do it with programs. And attractional functions how far we've drifted from the simple New Testament plan of going to where people are going to where people are living life together being and making disciples and gathering weekly together to worship and be equipped together and then go and have community in our homes how far we've drifted from that So how do we get back to that sense of community? You know, I know a lot of people that they'll immediately go online and they'll look in the Lifeway stores for some sort of a program or some sort of a a, a boxed uh, package of, hey, what can we do to replace this sense of community? Is there some sort of a shiny new attractional program that we can buy and that we can implement? Well, there probably is probably is. But here's the thing about slick new programs. The thing about slick new programs is slick new programs really quickly become faded old programs that you're just continually having to beg people to work in, and you're wearing people out with all of these new programs that really aren't accomplishing the mission anyway. So if the answer to an absence of community, if the answer to that isn't some sort of a slick new program or a shiny new ministry, then what is the key to building an evangelistic, disciple-making, exciting, loving, thriving, growing, dynamic church right here? What's the answer? What's the key to that? You know what I think the key is? I think the key is a house key. I think the key to building that kind of a ministry is a house key. Last week, we we took a deep dive looking into Lydia and her background and her life and all of that as we studied verses 11 through 15. We saw how Lydia was was the first new convert, was the first uh, new believer, truster in Christ there in Europe, what would later be become be known as europe and we looked at her character and her background and we saw how she was an example of biblical womanhood but then later on we we saw also how she was instrumental in planting the church there in philippi the church that would really be a launching pad a strategic launching pad for the ministry of christ all throughout europe and we even traced that traced ourselves to that lineage of all the way back to lydia being instrumental in planting that church but even as we looked at that and I you know I wanted to go straight on and talk about the next character here in chapter 16 but but man I couldn't even as I was was moving on in the study I just couldn't get past verse 15 here because I think verse 15 is key just couldn't pass by look at verse 15 again and after she of course the she there is Lydia She'd heard the gospel from Paul. She went and told her family. She was baptized, followed in baptism, after she trusted Christ. After, she, after Lydia was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us, the us being Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke, as well as whoever was with them. She urged us, saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord... If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. That that word prevailed in the original, it carries the idea of, of just passionately, well, I guess we could say she nagged them to death until they showed up. She, she prevailed upon them to come to her house. I, I got to tell you, as I was working, As I was working my way through this, I I really wanted to just just kind of pass by that verse. But that verse almost has haunted me. After she got saved, Lydia's first reaction, first reaction was to get baptized. Or part of that first reaction was being a witness to her household. But immediately after that, her first reaction was to open her home. And, you know, my first reaction, my first reaction would have been, you know, people are getting saved here and everything. Oh, let's let just let's just build this nice little building, build this nice little church, little brick church, little steeple, little bell in the tower. And we'll call it Riverside Baptist Church. We'll put it right there by the river where the prayer meeting was. That would have probably been my first reaction with thinking about planting a church there in town. That was not Lydia's first reaction. Now, I'm sure later on they had some sort of, of regular facilities. We, we see that pattern regularly throughout the book of Acts. Even in, the, even in the Jerusalem church, they met weekly in a regular corporate facility where they could all gather. And then after that, during the week, they would meet house to house. That's the pattern that's followed throughout the book of Acts. And really, I don't think it's any different with the church of Philippi. But you look at this little band of believers who were gathering there at the river, and then Lydia opened her house. You know what that's called? It's called hospitality. Hospitality. That's what we're going to focus on this morning, because I believe that hospitality is the key to evangelism. You know, we've on Sunday nights, we went through Share Jesus Without Fear. We've gone through that a couple of times as a church. We do outreach program. We do all of these different things from the church outward, the church outward, trying to prepare ourselves to be evangelists. But I think that the absolute key to evangelism and disciple making and multiplying disciples is hospitality. I think all those other things can augment and are good things. Key to evangelism, discipleship, and healthy church growth is hospitality. I think it's always been that way, and I think it's even more so now. I'll just steal a phrase from uh, a person who has recently written a book. I, I believe that the gospel comes with a house key. So as we get started, I think it's helpful if we have a definition of what we're talking about. What is hospitality? When I say that word, I'm sure that we get all different kinds of pictures in our mind about what that is. So what is hospitality? And once again, I'll borrow from somebody else. One preacher put it this way, and I love this definition. He says that hospitality is the willingness to welcome people into your home or apartment who don't ordinarily belong there. Not just talking about bringing family. Into your home. It's not even just talking about having your close friends over at home. It's about inviting people into your home who don't ordinarily belong there. You think about it Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they did not ordinarily belong in Lydia's house, did they? They didn't. That was probably pretty inconvenient for her to have those four guys and all of their stuff over at her house. Ladies, how would you like it if your husband came home from work one day and told you, "Hey, you know, four of my buddies are going to come over and they're they're going to stay with us, and I don't know how long they're going to stay with us, but they're going to stay with us." How, how would you ladies like that? I'm sure that that Monday morning or that next day, I'd be getting phone calls and my premar or my my marital counseling schedule would fill up in a hurry, <laughs> right? Because it's just not something that that we want to do you think about it that was a whole lot more food to cook for Lydia and that was in the days before crock pots and instapots and microwaves and all of that kind of stuff there was a whole lot more laundry to do and she certainly didn't have a Maytag hospitality was a whole lot harder in Lydia's day than it is today but I'm afraid that um, it's a whole lot more rare In our day, than it was in her day. But hospitality in her day and hospitality in our day, I believe, is one of the greatest avenues that God uses to multiply disciples and grow His church. Here's what you need to know hospitality is not an optional program for extroverted Christians. That's the first thing I want to do is I want to say, oh, you know, I just, I just, I just really don't like people, right? I, I don't want to invite people over to the house. No, it's not an optional program. There are three things that we see about hospitality in God's Word. First thing we see about hospitality in God's Word is that hospitality is rooted in God's nature. Hospitality is rooted in the very character and nature of who God is. And we see it very clearly in Old Testament law. And you can write these passages down for your own study just to just to make sure that what I'm saying is true. We, we see God's nature clearly in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34. And this is what the law says. It says, when a stranger sojourns with you, in other words, when he's traveling with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. That's easy enough, right? You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God gives his name. He says, I am the Lord your God. And in the midst of that, he is talking about hospitality. Now, of course, we know that God gave that requirement specifically in the context of Israel as a nation. There are some people who are trying to twist that to talk about the politics of our own nation and our own borders. No, God gave that specifically in the context of Israel as a nation. But even though that was specifically given to Israel in the context of their nation, it gives us insight into the character of who God is. And as it gives us insight into the character of who God is... It gives us insight into how believers are supposed to treat unbelievers in our midst. Those who sojourn, those who are walking alongside us and walking with us. Because of who God is, we are to extend His grace and mercy just like He extended His grace and mercy and welcome to us. Just like He's invited us to His table We're to invite others to our table. He invited us into His kingdom. We're we're to invite others into our kingdom as well. And that's a foundational concept throughout the Old Testament. It's a foundational concept in God's law. Hospitality is rooted in the very nature of God Himself. But not only that, hospitality is also required by the commandment of God. God didn't just show this by His nature, He commands it. The the New Testament builds on that Old Testament foundation with commands to us, with commands to His church. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to to the needs of the saints, and seek to show what? Hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. You see that last phrase there? How does it start? It says, seek to show hospitality. In other words, hospitality isn't something that's going to come naturally to most of us. Hospitality isn't something that's just going to fall in our lap for most of us. See, hospitality, real hospitality is going to come at a price. It's something that we have to work for. It's something that we have to plan for. Here's one of the things that hospitality is going to cost you. Hospitality will cost you your privacy. I'm a private person. I don't necessarily like that. I'm an introvert by nature. By nature, I don't like opening my doors to other people. You ever heard the phrase, uh, uh, "My my home is my castle." Well, here's the thing about me. I think that castle ought to come with a moat and a drawbridge and maybe some alligators in the moat and maybe a dragon or two. Right? I'm just not, I'm just not into that. But God knows my heart. So therefore, His Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 9. That's what He said. He said, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. See, this isn't one, just one more thing we're supposed to put on a legalistic checklist. We invite others to dine with us because Jesus invited us in to dine with Him. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 is one of the beautiful pictures of dining with Jesus. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and what? Eat with him and he with me. Hospitality is going to cost you your comfort. Hospitality, let's get practical about it. Hospitality is also going to cost you your food budget. (laughs) Right? It's going to cost you your food budget. But if you think of that as an investment... Then the return on that investment oh, is out of this world. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 1 and 2 says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Yeah, hospitality is rooted in the nature of God. Hospitality is required by the commandment of God. And hospitality is modeled throughout the Word of God. Y- you remember Abraham and Sarah? You remember Abraham and Sarah? They were, were just hanging out in their tent one day, and all of a sudden these, these three men show up at, at their tent. This is in Genesis chapter 18. And when these three men showed up at their tent, the text says that Abraham ran out to greet them. Now, of course, we know as we read the text and as the text moves on, we know that those three men were two angels and, and the, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. We know that looking, looking back on it and looking at it through the text. But when those three folks come walking, through, walking up the desert to the flap of Abraham's tent, he didn't know that. But he came running up and invited them to stay for supper. Remember the hospitality that Joseph showed his brothers in Genesis chapter 45? You remember his brothers that had thrown him in a pit and then came back and pulled him out of the pit and then sold him off into slavery? Those brothers? Those brothers that by every right Joseph Joseph could have at best just ignored or ran off? Joseph didn't do that, did he? Joseph showed exceptional hospitality to them he, he welcomed them and he cried with them and he fed them and he even sent them home with food didn't he remember the story of King David and Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9 now whether you can pronounce that dude's name or not Mephibosheth I, I have to work on that occasionally but whether you can pronounce his name or not It's a beautiful picture of hospitality. Mephibosheth was Saul's crippled grandson. And you remember how Saul treated David. Mephibosheth was lame in both feet, but David still invited him to come and dine at his table, just as if he was one of the king's sons. He was a regular guest there. See, David was welcoming somebody who didn't ordinarily belong there. He was showing hospitality. He was showing hospitality, just like the widow uh, of Zarephath showed to Elijah in First Kings chapter seventeen. Remember the widow of Zarephath? There, she she didn't have money for anything. She had a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour. Not even enough to feed herself and her son, but she invited Elijah in any way. And she not only invited him in, she used what was left of her flour and what was left of her oil to make a meal for Elijah only. Thinking, now she didn't know that the Lord was going to multiply it. But thinking that was the last of her food and she was going to offer it in hospitality. She took all that she had and prepared it for Elijah, and God blessed her because of it. And don't forget Nehemiah. Nehemiah, if you think you're too busy to show hospitality to somebody, if you think you're too busy to invite somebody over for lunch or for dinner, (laughs) look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah was in the middle, was eyeball deep in the middle of the greatest building program that Israel had ever experienced. He was not only rebuilding the wall, but he was also building the city, rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. But right in the middle of rebuilding the wall and the city, somehow he found time and resources to feed 150 people every day around his table. Now, that's a big table. Maybe he did like at my house with just scattered chairs all over the place. But 150 people every day. Now, Rand and I know what it's like to have 15 or 20 or 25 people over to the house for lunch on Sundays after a couple of 50-hour work weeks. But can you imagine 150 people every single day? That's crazy. The text indicates that Nehemiah used his entire food budget for that. And he was blessed because of it. And more importantly, God's people were blessed because of it. And even more importantly than that, God's name was exalted before a watching, critical world. Now... When you look into the Gospels, when you look early on into the New Testament, we don't have examples of Jesus inviting people into his home because Jesus didn't have a home, did he? But you think about how much Jesus was impacted by the hospitality of others. Jesus depended on the hospitality of others during his earthly ministry. People like Peter had him in his home. People like Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Even people like Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea didn't open up his house, but he loaned Jesus his tomb so that the body of Jesus could rest there. Some people think that the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples that we will remember here in just a little bit. Some people think that that Last Supper was held in John Mark's mother's house in an upper room there. And we do know that John Mark's mother's house was where 120 gathered there in the first chapter of Acts. They gathered together on the first on that day of Pentecost when the church was born. As we've looked through the book of Acts, we've seen how the Jerusalem church met from house to house during the week. And when they gathered to pray that Peter would be released from prison, they were gathering in somebody's house. And here in our passage this morning, Lydia opened her house... Not just to those four men, but she opened her house so that the church at Philippi would be planted there. When you, when you open your eyes to the concept of hospitality and you read your scripture through that lens, it is throughout scripture Hospitality is throughout Scripture. It's rooted in the nature of God. It's required by the commandment of God. It's modeled throughout the Word of God. So if it's that evident throughout Scripture and throughout God's character and throughout His Word, then why are we not doing it? Why are we not doing it? Why are we not not regularly asking ourselves the question... How does God want me to use my home to build relationships and multiply disciples? Why are we not asking ourselves that question? Well, let's ask it right now. How does God want me to use my home to build relationships and multiply disciples? Now, look, I I know showing hospitality is not easy. It's not easy to lower that drawbridge. Much less chain up the alligators and make the dragon go to his little dragon house. (laughs) It's, It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to welcome people into your home that don't ordinarily belong there, especially if you're more introverted like I am. But hospitality is rooted in the nature of God. Hospitality is required by the commandment of God. And hospitality is modeled throughout the Word of God. So if it is those three things, then don't you think we ought to start figuring out the ways that we can do that, the ways that we can show hospitality? Let me give you a few suggestions about how you can get started. Here's just a a few ideas. Offer to babysit for somebody in your home for free. <laughs> I'm not talking about it as a way to make money. Offer to babysit for somebody, right? That's a, that's a perfect way to show hospitality. If you know somebody that is, that's providing elder care, that's providing elder care, especially if they're providing elder care uh, in their home, invite them to bring that person to your house so that you can give them a break. And so that you can provide elder care in your own home for a day or maybe even a weekend. It'll be a nice break for the caregiver and it'll provide a nice change of scenery to the one that's being cared for. You know, there's all different kinds of things. If you open your mind and you just start to think there's all kinds of things that you can do to provide hospitality. But you know what the most basic one is? Most basic one is have somebody over your house to eat. We like food, don't we? And, and you think how, how many times food is mentioned in the Bible. You think about, you just read through the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see how many times Jesus ate. And the scenarios that it was talking about—that Jesus would eat. Jesus ate so much <laughs> that, uh, or he was seen eating with people so many times that he was even accused of being a glutton, wasn't he? Well, Jesus wasn't a glutton. He just ate with people. Eating is good, amen. Eating together is better, amen. And eating together in your home is even better than that. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what some of you are thinking, because I've thought the same things. You know, I just don't have the room for it. I, I don't have the money in my food budget for it. I don't have nice enough stuff. My house is a mess. Keep the amens down. I can't cook, right? There's a million excuses that we can come up with, right? Just stop it! <laughs> just stop it. We're not talking about some sort of an Aussie and Harriet kind of a, you know, uh, what a Heloise household, we, you know, one of those kind of things where you're where where you're trying to be just a perfect host or hostess and have all of this elegant stuff. No, we're not talking about fine dining social etiquette. That's not what hospitality is. Hospitality is about letting down our walls, letting down our guard, and being real. It's hard to fake it with somebody when you burn dinner, isn't it? (laughs) It's hard to fake it when the toilet overflows or when you run out of hot dogs. By the way, those are words of testimony. All of those things and more have happened at my house When we've had folks there, like the time that we, uh, this was a few years ago, the time that we had a house full of people over for Thanksgiving, including a Brazilian exchange student, and our septic overflowed in the house. Hi, welcome to America. Enjoy the meal. By the way, you can't use the bathroom, right? Listen, people don't care If your house is a mess, if you fill it with love, amen, people don't care, people don't care if you're filling it with laughter and relationship, (laughs) you know, and if, if you say you can't cook, well, you know, we'll let somebody else testify to that, but listen to me, anybody can cook in a crock pot, a crock pot is one of the greatest inventions of, of humankind, Anybody can cook in a crock pot. If you don't think you can, just throw some frozen chicken in it, a couple of cans of soup and some veggies and let it sit there for a couple hours. And you've got dinner, right? So don't use that excuse, well, I can't cook. Because if you do that, trust me, people will sit around and if you're laughing and loving on each other and all that kind of stuff, they'll think it's the best thing ever. And if not, you just put a lot of seasonal and some Tabasco on it and it covers up everything. Now, if you're talking about, you know, i got to go to serve steaks and potatoes and all that stuff, you can invite me. But that's not what we're talking about for hospitality. If you're going to serve that kind of food, it'll get expensive really quick. But you don't have to. You don't have to cook a 15-pound roast. Like I said, if you do, you can invite me. (laughs) I can tell you, if you can plan it well, you can feed 25 people for about... $30 or less. And Miranda and I can do that. You can certainly have a young couple over for soup and sandwiches. And you can do it for just a few dollars more than you would have spent at Wendy's. Right? If all else fails, if you can't figure out how to turn on a crock pot, if you can't figure out anything else, Little Caesars is still in the business of selling pizzas for $5 a piece. (laughs) (laughs) right so really any of the things that we set up as to why we can't are excuses what I'm saying is that we don't have any excuses if God's given you a place to live he expects you to use it for his glory and one of the ways that he expects you to use the place that he's given you to live is to show hospitality. Now does he expect you to plant a church in your house like Lydia did? <laughs> I don't know. But I thank God that about 50 some years ago, the Parker family showed enough hospitality to allow this church to be planted in their basement. Aren't you? That's hospitality. Is God expecting that kind of hospitality from you? I don't know. I don't know. That's between you and Him. But He is expecting you to show some kind of hospitality. The kind of hospitality where relationships are formed, where relationships are grown. The kind of hospitality where disciples are made and multiplied. So here are two questions that I'm going to leave you with this morning how does God want me to use the place that I live the second question is am I willing to step out of my comfort zone and do it doesn't do any good for God to answer the first one if you're not willing to do the second one let's pray I know how uh, so many times we we want to dig into Your Word for the, quote, practical things. But then when we're confronted with uh, practical, in-your-face, day-to-day living, something that we are called to do, it's just so easy to Want to back up off of that and say, "Well, Lord, I I don't want to, or I can't, or a million different excuses." Lord, you've confronted us with a very practical day-to-day living in this passage. Lord, I'd ask that that your Spirit would. Um, would open our hearts to receive it. Father, oh, it's so easy when we're confronted with something that is difficult or that we don't necessarily like, it's so easy for us just to just to just to close our ears and and close our minds and say, well, that doesn't apply to me, or let's just move on to something else. Lord, just as this verse has haunted me, over the past few weeks, Father, I'd ask that this understanding of hospitality would haunt each of us in here. Not, not so that we can try to earn Your favor or anything like that. Father, you have, you have shown us Your grace. You've poured out Your grace. There's nothing we can do to add to that or take away from it. Father, we can't earn anything of yours. But Father, we just want to obey because of who you are and out of appreciation for what you've done for us. So Lord, would you burn in our hearts your truth this morning? And Father, if there's one here who's not trusted Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior in all of this Uh, Sounds idealistic, but foreign to them. Lord, I'd ask that you would use this desire for community and this desire for fellowship, Father, that you would, that you would use that desire to draw them to Christ. Father, that each of us that would see that the only way that we can have that kind of rich fellowship and community that we desire is if it's in Christ. Father, would you um, would you draw the lost to you? And Father, would you stir up the saved to your work? In Jesus' precious name, Amen.